Welcome to our latest podcast, Beyond Equality and uh, Dan Guinness. My name is Hussein Mithani. I am an associate at uh, Herbert Smith Freehills. I work in the charities department and I'm also a dispute resolution lawyer. I am uh, joined today by my colleague, um, Richard Norwich, who is a partner and the uh, head of the charities practice in London. We are joined today, uh, as I said earlier, by Dan Guinness. Dan previously uh, spoke to us about his background and beyond equality, how that got started, and in particular, how his background informed the creation of that charity. Today, we'll be talking about the charity operation and how beyond equality has has thrived uh, so far. Um, Before I come to my first question, Dan, we understand that uh, beyond equality operates in the UK, the Netherlands, and uh, South Africa. So it is Yes, it's an international charity. One of the questions we have for you is, what would you say is the biggest challenge of running an international charity? Thank you very much for having me again. And good to talk to you, Hussein. Yeah, very, very interesting question. I think, I mean, maybe I'll focus on the South African example, because at the moment, our South African operations have pretty much gone down to zero. Um, With the difficulty there, the, the huge challenge for us has been to... Uh, the requirement, the necessity, the best practice to actually find local people to be able to do that work, but actually how challenging it is to find people, train them up, incorporate them in your organization and provide them with appropriate support when you have that big difference, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, cultural um, place that they're going to be working, how they're going to be doing the work, the legislative um, environment that they're working within, all of that plays such a crucial part and makes it actually difficult to find people and guide them in the right ways. So for us, the, the biggest challenge is that a lot of our work is, yes, dealing with issues that every single country in the world has, um, violence prevention, sexual violence prevention, uh, creating healthier individual identities, uh, gender equality, all the issues that every country is dealing with, but they're dealing with them in their own ways and in slightly different contexts and with a whole range of, of different um, different things that they need to be thinking about and applying. And so it, the challenge is having, having an organisation that can adapt and do things differently in different places. Dan, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, next, I just wanted to talk about beyond the quality a little bit more in, in the UK. Um, now, as a for our podcast listeners, uh, we registered Beyond Equality uh, as a charity at, at HSF in, in the UK. Uh, back then, it was called the Good Lad Initiative, and we, we were delighted to do so. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure to work with Dan and, and his team to, to get it registered. Um, but kind of the first question we have is, is just in respect of um, Beyond Equality as a new charity and what you found the most challenging about running a, a new charity from a regulatory perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, the hardest thing is just getting everyone up to speed about what the roles are. Um, now, I would say that the the shift for us wasn't huge in that we'd already been running a uh, a kick a, a CIC, um, so we had some experience about needing to be thinking both at the at the level of um, financial sustainability, you know, that that business model um, and governance for business but also about that impact and how, we, how make, we're making sure that we're aligned to our values and everything that we're doing. But the, the requirements there from a charity 
are, are greater and are more formalized. Uh, and there's a need there to get a whole team of trustees, uh, not only informed about what their roles and obligations are legally, but also to understand what their specific functions might be within an organization that's rapidly growing. Um, so uh, I mean, we're very, very grateful. Not only, I mean, you said that you registered us, true. You, you managed to fast track somehow to get to get that process fast tracked and done very efficiently, which was wonderful to get us registered. Um, but also uh, uh, Richard and, and his team gave an incredibly good briefing about well, what are those obligations? What are some of those tricky things that, that come up? How should we be thinking about conflict of interest, for example? Um, you know, what constitutes that, what doesn't? How do we create this structure with between the existing uh, legal entity of the CIC um, that we've kept for the moment at least uh, and the charity, you know, that um, in a way that's, that's actually going to be within the laws that govern both of those two uh, organisations, um, which when you've got a very small team and you're actually specialists in things that don't involve the law in any way, shape or form, it's, it's quite challenging to think all those things through. So it's been it's been very very useful for us to to have that guidance, and to then start to think through well how do we work together to meet those requirements and ensure that the organisation is always making the best decisions about how to take a, a step forward and make the impact we want to make. Uh, thank you, uh, Dan, for that. Um, just a quick addition to to that point. Um, Kind of what other resources apart from you know, advice from from law firms or briefing notes from from Richard, uh, which are very good briefing notes. Uh, also, I would say, I guess I'm a bit biased. Uh, but what other resources have you found to be helpful for you know, for trustees or for people working in the charity to to kind of get to grips with with it all? Yeah, um, there's uh, different resources that have been applicable for different areas that we're working in. Um, so, for example, we benefit a lot from uh, all the safeguarding uh, type of advice that exists within the sector. Um, and we've got relationships with other organisations who've given advice about, well, how do they actually practice the, a process that allows the trustees of the organisation to have a strong sense about what the practices are and whether they're actually in line with those, um, those policies and, and best practice for safeguarding. Um, so getting specific pieces of, of um, practical advice and information there um, is really important. And a key component of that is practical advice that not only guides what staff can be doing, but also um, shows this map from day-to-day -day actions through to this governance oversight and that accountability structure to the trustees ultimately. So that's been very useful there. Um, there's also been uh, external advice that we've we've got around the the particular uh, delegation of duties and delegation of responsibilities within the organisation to to break it down into its constituent parts and enable us to see that we operate. Uh, we can we can make sure that all of our operations are accountable to trustees by seeing them as part of categories around our our people and training around our knowledge systems. Um, and ensuring the, the best practice there um, around our, our fundraising and our financial uh, accountability and plans. 
Um, and then finally around our external communications and, and how we're actually positioning ourselves. Um, so for, for us, having that system, having someone to actually come in and, and, and consult with us and help us to break that down and then to build up the systems that allow that uh, both the transfer of strategy in one direction and the, in the other direction, transfer of information and accountability and reporting has been really, really useful. Um, and with that, the key tool seems to be just standardized. I feel like I'm you know, saying something so, so simple here, but just having open conversations to start with about what information is needed from, from everyone, and then just having really standardized templates that are simple for people to fill out um, so they actually do that work and keep that information flow going. Um, and I, I would say that where, we where we've had trouble in the past has been, or when we've um, found things difficult, has been when um, the, the, reporting, uh, yeah, the reporting requirements have been so great on our operational staff that they don't want to do them, that they resent them, they put them off, they rush them. Whereas once we've actually shifted it and we've made sure that the reporting requirements are in line with what the, those operational staff actually need to know and they understand the bigger purpose and they feel supported and actually feel like there's some weight and responsibility lifted from them, then at that point, um, did we start to see things really kick into gear and start to function a lot more effectively. Thank you very much for that, Dan. It's very interesting to see how the charity and, and how the trustees are are getting on and um, it's very, very helpful to, to know that. Um, the kind of next question is everyone's favourite and most talked about question over the last two years and, and that's the impact of COVID and in particular how has, um, how has COVID impacted uh, Beyond Equality and, and its operations? Yeah, uh, hugely, absolutely hugely. We were pre-COVID an organisation that did intimate, but, well, intimate group work type of workshops where you'd have 20 people face to face in a small space, um, talking, moving around, interacting. Uh, and we always did that in person. Obviously, our entire way of making an impact uh, was not COVID safe and we had to completely readjust what we did. Um, and that's driven us or I guess prompted us or whatever the right word, spurred us on to create a, a larger offering, an online offering, a, a hybrid offering to be far more flexible in what we're doing and creative. So there's been a huge amount of work that happens there. At the same time, we were working from a position where uh, we'd, we'd made a shift in our strategy to focus on um, generating most of our revenue from sales, from delivery of, of services and workshops and consultancy, um, which of course, when all those, when the majority of those products are not COVID safe, meant that financially we found ourselves in a position where you know, we were just projecting a huge hole, an absolutely massive hole um, in, our, uh, in our revenue. So that then meant that uh, we jumped on the government schemes for uh, furloughing, and which was great. It kept us financially alive, but it also meant that in this moment where we were trying to do huge adjustments and change, we also had a lot of our staff not working with us or not working for us. Um, and so that was like a, a real um, struggle to balance all of that uh, and try to do things in, um, you know, in ways which were effective and efficient 
um, and also in line with what was possible. And then I think the other thing to bring in here is just the, the huge emotional load that that's placed upon people. So people have been grieving, they've been sick, um, they've been uh, feeling all of those, that, that heaviness, that sense of isolation that you get when you work by yourself or you sit by yourself at your, in your house for, for months on end. Um, and for us, it's been a challenge to, uh, to hold space for people to be in those types of um, personal situations that are difficult uh, and also uh, create an organisation that's moving forward. And for us, we're a very small team of people who are doing this work, at least in the core team. And so that means if, you know, if people are taking time out from work, which is obviously entirely necessary at moments, that it does create like a, a large burden on, on, on the rest of the organisation, which means, again, that this agility and this flexibility that we're, we had to bring in um, became so much harder to actually implement and move forward. Uh, at the end of the day now, I, I think we're, we seem to be in an incredibly strong position out of all of this where uh, having, having moved past the, the lockdowns and, I mean, hopefully, obviously things are always, uh, we don't know what's coming next. But at the moment, what we're seeing is there's just an incredibly high demand for our work. Um, we've, we've had a busier three months than we've ever had before in terms of delivery of our work. Um, and, and there's also a huge number of people who are trying to join our organisation who are asking us to do different work in different places. So we're all we're extremely positive about the, the demand that there is um, for what we're trying to do. Uh, and we've now got a suite of workshops and offerings that's far more diverse, um, both in terms of delivery style, but also in terms of topics that we're talking about. It's a far more deliver, um, sorry, far more mature product suite that we've got, and we're really incredibly excited about um, now. What can we do with this position? Are we able to attract the the sort of funding that we would need to put in structures where we can really expand and actually reach far more people in the country? And we're, the ambitions that we've got post COVID are to put in place a system where we could be reaching half the young people in the country in five years' time. Um, either directly by running workshops with them or by training the youth workers or teachers um, or other people like that that are actually working with them uh, in whatever situation that they might be, in school, out of school, at university, in sports clubs, in social clubs. So we're looking at those plans and we believe that there's the demand and the need, so demand from people for that work, the need for society that we actually do that work and this is just this piece of the puzzle now, which again is coming back to this finance and these structures and how we can we make sure that as we're doing that, we're still fulfilling our obligations to the Charity Commission, but also we're still making sure that we're doing the best possible work in the safest possible way um, and are holding ourselves accountable to both the people that we work with and also to, to broader society. Thank you very much, Dan. And your answer very nicely, I think, segued or segues into my next question, which is what's kind of on the horizon for Beyond Equality. I think you may have already answered this, but is there anything else you'd want to add as to what's on the horizon? Yeah, it's uh, hopefully a lot. 
hopefully a lot of new work, especially with, uh, we see ourselves, it's really focusing on that work with young people, but we do have like, you know, an interesting workplaces project that's having a lot of attention around what what is male allyship uh, in workplaces. So that's all exciting. But I, I think the first thing on the horizon is, is this deep phase of consolidation where we can say, hey, we've just been through an incredibly turbulent period. What have we learned? How are we going to do things better? Um, what are we going to take forward? And at the same time, we're, we're entering into a big funding phase where we're looking for the sort of investment that can actually take our organisation forward and set us up to be able to do things uh, in a much bigger and more exciting and deeper and more sustainable way uh, as we move forward. So um, all very exciting things for us, I think. Uh, although, um, you know, it always comes with a lot of work uh, <laughs> and a lot of things to juggle as, as again, we're, we're quite a small team. So, uh, yeah, we're very grateful for, for the support of people like HSF that, that take just that, that little bit of pressure off us from needing to be an expert at absolutely everything. It, it, interesting what you say, Dan, and reflect some of the other conversations we've been having back, or, or at least as I understood what you said, that COVID to a certain extent has accelerated certain developments and changes in the way that you deliver training sets and you're able to do things that you couldn't have done before, um, which is... It's obviously been an awful time for, for so many people, but there, there there have been these changes which have been uh, accelerated and incubated through COVID, which could have some positive outcomes um, longer term. The, the one thing I'm conscious of as, as we wrap up now, Dan, is, is just how people find out more about um, Beyond Equality. Presumably there's a, a website or some other kind of online material they can access. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best way is to follow us and support us. Um, uh, via our website, which is www.beyondequality, um, all one word spelt the way that it should be spelt, um, <laughs> uh, .org, so beyondequality.org. Um, and also where our most active social media account is our Instagram, um, which is beyond underscore equality. Um, I'm sure you can also search for that. So those will be the best two routes, and there's opportunities there to find out about our programs, to bring us into um, schools, universities, workplaces to work with you. There's also opportunities to volunteer for us. There's also opportunities to attend free or pay what you like talks that we put on. Um, and of course, there's opportunities to make a donation to support our work. So uh, please do check it out. We're, we're really excited about all the attention that we have been getting, all the support we have been getting, all the requests to help that we have been getting, and we would certainly appreciate any of those things that, that you would like to bring to us. Great. Great. Thanks very much, uh, Dan. Um, we'll try and include some links in the podcast notes so people can find uh, your website and your Instagram presence. Um, and it's just to, to wrap up and say thanks very much, um, Dr. Daniel Guinness, uh, Managing Director of uh, Beyond Equality. Thanks, Dan, for, for joining us today and, and taking the time. Uh, thank you, Hussein, as well, for posing the questions. And thank you to everyone who's listened. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. I'm sure Dan would be delighted if you got in touch, if you had any um, thing that you wanted to follow up on, uh, on the basis of what he was talking about, or if indeed his charity can assist with anything that you're uh, working through at your workplaces or uh, university schools, etc. 
so thank you very much and please do watch out for the next Herbert Smith Freehills Private Wealth and Charities podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Usain. And thank you, everyone who's listening.